Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. So, uh, this is our third part of a series that we're uh, just calling Try This at Home. And because I believe that the fullness of who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives um, is not even kind of remotely lived out until we embrace it fully in our homes, in our daily life, in our day in and day out life. And so we've been looking at that concept. So if you would just uh, uh, go ahead and take your Bible app, take your bulletin, take whatever it is you're going to follow along on their notes. And we're looking at this idea that if we're going to truly grow in knowing God better and trust him more, then we're going to have to do this from our homes. And our home, we've talked about, should be the base for all of our spiritual growth. Should be the base for it. And so many times we think of church as the base for our place of spiritual growth. But the truth is, is it's a, it should be home that we come to church to be able to get stirred up and equipped and, and connected and taught so that we can better connect at home. That's what should be it. It's home should be our core base. And we've looked at John uh, 15, verse 4, which says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And this place of abide is to just fully live in. And so that's what abide means. And I chose this translation because, again, I like this word abide because it kind of jars us because we don't use that word all the time. We use the word live. We use, we use the word live all the time, and that's what it, that's what it means. It means to just live in Christ and, <clears throat> and he and you. But this abide is this purposeful it, being inside of and connecting and making it your home, your abode where you lay your head at night, that is where you abide. And we need to bring that concept into our relationship with, with God. And we need to be able to do that because I tell you what, our first connection with God may or may not be at home. Um, praise God, first time I ever heard the name of Jesus, I would imagine would have been at my house um, because I don't remember the first time I heard the name of Jesus because I grew up and, and my parents were active in church and, and passionate about their relationship with God. And I don't remember the first time I heard the name of, of Jesus. And so, but I do, do embrace the, the idea of fully connecting with Jesus at home. We had home gatherings a lot of times. The, the, <clears throat> there were people who would come over to our house after church and, and, and have prayer and get teachings. And just our home was on a regular basis a center of spiritual growth and spiritual development. And thankfully, I just grew up as a fly on the wall seeing some of that. And it had an impact on my life. But so many times our first encounter with Jesus may or may not be at home, but we have this encounter with Jesus, and if we say yes to the truth 
of who he is and what he has done in our lives and embrace the forgiveness and the restoration and the hope that we have in Christ, I'm telling you what, it is liberating. It is life-changing when we fully get a hold of it. But if we, if we simply get a hold of it for ourselves and we don't invite it into the fullness of our homes, we are missing our first place of ministry. We can't just be okay that it's changed our lives and not be passionate about wanting to see and, and do our role to see it embrace everybody who's in our space with us. Uh, years ago, Cutie and I went on our first mission trip together. Uh, and in fact, we're getting, we had our calendar planning. We've got a couple of trips on the books for 2021 where you can finally go somewhere. Bless God, we're going to go back to Jamaica and to Thailand uh, next year. And so uh, if you are interested in that, stay tuned. All of those details will be coming out quickly, um, but we'll be able to go and minister there at a team. If you've never been on a short-term mission, um, man, I'm telling you what, you are cheating yourself because nothing will jar you out of just your normal routine in life and the way you see the gospel and the way you see your relationship with God and in everything as far as getting out of our borders as a nation, going somewhere and seeing. Because so many times we see the good news, the gospel through an American lens. And guess what? Jesus is not an American. Jesus isn't an American. Jesus wasn't white. Jesus wasn't Texan. Jesus did, did not shop at Walmart. Jesus did not have the different th things we did. He didn't shop at Hobby Lobby. He didn't go, oh, cool, the sign's about me. No, he didn't, do, he didn't do that. We have the wrong mindset so many times, and we can begin to Americanize our connection with God and Jesus and getting outside of that space and recognizing how people who have a very different everyday life have the same Jesus and we begin to connect on that I'll tell you what it reinforces what's true and basic and constant across Christianity it challenges our soft spots and calls us up and if you've not gone on a been out of the states um, it, to be able to minister I'm telling you you need to do it and so uh, does not plan to say that, but it's important. And so, uh, but Cutie and I were on our trip. We were in Guatemala, and we were staying at a place that was a feeding station for, for kids. And these kids would come in uh, three times a week, and this was a very impoverished area, uh, way up in the mountains. It was so impoverished. This, this spot was so impoverished that when the lady first went there to feed, and she was feeding about 150 kids a week, two meals, and on the Friday meal, she put meat in the meal. And as soon as she had implemented that, she's like, these kids need some protein. And it's a soup, people. It's not like she's handing them steak. It's soup that happens to have meat in it. If they're lucky, they get a ladle of soup, and it's got a chunk or two of meat in it. But this area was so impoverished that when word got back to the parents that the kids were like, ah, oh, I had meat in my soup. There began to be this rumor that this lady was taking one of the children and putting a child in the soup because they could not believe that somebody would have enough money to go to the market 
and be able to buy meat to go in soup for 150 kids. They couldn't put meat on their own tables ever. And for somebody to be generously doing this, it just blew their mind. And the only thing that made sense was this horrendous story of of a child being put in the soup. And so she was committed. She was an awesome, hard-headed lady, and she was committed. I'm still going to put meat in there. So she'd go to the market, and she would parade it down the street that here was this meat that came from the market, and she would parade it down the street. And a few times of that, they finally were like, all right, this lady can do this. And the kids came back uh, to do that. So we're there ministering in that environment. And, um, and so consequently, up in there, it was she did her best, but there was some critters and stuff around where we stayed. And I was asleep one night inside my sleeping bag um, there in Guatemala. And, and all of a sudden, I wake up. And there is something on my legs. It's on the outside of my sleeping bag, but there is something on my legs. And I kind of wake up, and then it moves again, and I feel it. And I just instinctively just, just threw my knee up. And this thing flew off of my knee. And I threw it hard enough that it flies through the air. And there's an awesome guy named Roy Espinoza who lives in this area um, who was on a cot. Uh, on uh, just uh, not far from me, and I hear in the blackness of this room um, this, <gasps> and I had thrown the rat off of my knee, and it landed in his chest, and I rolled over, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> That's a true story. I felt terrible. I should have got up, but man, that was a big rat. I was, <laughs> I was in my sleeping bag. I was staying there, buddy. Roy, you're on your own. You're a grown man. (laughs) But the truth is, is that there can be a place where you know that there's something that's messing up our world and messing up our rest and, and, and not what it should be. And we can just be content with to get it off our cot and off our knee. And the fact that it's now in somebody else right under our roof. And we're like, you know what? Praise God, I'm free. Um, prayers for you, my friend. And, and move on. And it's not okay. We've got to sit there and say, I understand and I'm thankful that I'm free. I'm thankful that thing ain't crawling around on me anymore. But it's not okay that it's now somebody else's problem, that somebody else has, has issues, that there's freedom that can be had for everybody. And that's what we have in Christ. It's freedom for everybody. And we have to care about all the people we connect with on a regular basis. And to be able to do this and try this at home, we have to embrace the fact that we are called to minister in our homes. Our first place of ministry, it's at home. Our first place of ministry is at home. And the truth is that family is the basis of all relationships. It's the foundational components of all relationships. And you're like, Brandon, I, I've got other relationships, okay? I've got coworkers, okay? Yeah, we have coworkers. We have people. But guess what? You're paid to be with those people. You're paid to be there. And maybe you like some of them, and maybe you don't. But you know what? You're like, all right, it's a paycheck. And you're just like, I got to deal with them. In fact, there's been some of you have had some coworkers that were so hard to deal with. Man, you were like, you can't pay me enough to be here. I'm out of here. And you were gone because the relationships 
were difficult. You have another area of relationships. It's friendships. People who have like interests as you and whatnot. And, and at work, you get paid to be there. But it, with friendships, you get another kind of pay. And it's just enjoyment. You have your hobbies you do. You, ha- you, have, you just enjoy being around them and just enjoy connecting with them. And that's its own kind of pay. But family is a whole different layer of relationships because it's not about personal enrichment or personal enjoyment. It's about this place where we have to, we learn to live out difficult relationships. Family is where we learn how to be able to, to have grace with people who do things and think things very differently than us. If you notice, our society is polarizing more and more. People are cocooning more and more. They're getting to where the people, they try to have people who are just like them more and more and more. Sadly, the church world, you can go out and find churches where just the bulk of the people who all sit together and worship together, they're very, very, very similar. Very similar in socioeconomic, very similar in skin color, very similar in everything. You know what? We've got this election coming up soon, and I've talked to some of my pastor friends, and I'm like, you know, Celebration Church is not going to vote as a block. And I'm, I, I'm thankful that we don't have, that Celebration Church is not going to vote, and I'll vote for the same party. Um, I have my political opinions. I have those things. I believe they're guided by the scriptures. And, but election years, it's tough um, because we're not voting on the Bible. I'd love to be able to vote on, you know, say this is what was going to be our guide. And man, it, it's tense. And so, you, but guess what? We have people who are here in this space that are going to vote differently than you. And I am thankful because that means we're learning how to unite around who Jesus is and what he's done and connect and to do life together. And sadly, as the, as the place of home as ministry has, has reduced, we are not as good as a society of being able to connect and deal with people who think differently than we think. And so for us to begin to turn the, turn the tide on that, you and I, as the children of God, have to re-again embrace that home is our core place of ministry. It's our core place of ministry. But the problem with it is relationships are inherently difficult. They're hard. Relationships are tough. Even this thing of friendships, did you know that the average friendship in the U.S. lasts seven years? Seven years. It's all fun. We're all buddy-buddy, BBF, BFFs. All's cool. Go Then go through. Then at some point, we kind of get sideways with one another and move off, find somebody else new to hang out with, and move on. We just, they're disposable on so many levels. We have to begin to embrace relationships are difficult, and we have to let God begin to work in us so that we can let him begin to work in the others around us. We've got this coming Saturday, we've got uh, an expansion of the family again. Of uh, uh, Keenan got married, and so exciting. And now Weston next Saturday. Boy, this is your last Sunday as a single man. 
And Grace, enjoy it. This is your last Sunday as a Dunlap. You Clark after this, girl. And, uh, and so we were talking about it. We were talking about it. Um, me and Cutie and the little girls, uh, Colin and Press. And Pressy's our six-year-old. And so we were talking about, you know, hey, the, you know, the wedding's coming up. And Pressy's just sitting there just serious as could be and says, I'm just not repaired for Weston to get married. <laughs> and so we kind of laughed and like, she makes up kind of her own words and she does things. And, and uh, I was like, but you know what? There's a lot of truth in that. That sometimes dealing with family or the next family thing, we think, I- I'm just not repaired for that. I'm still too wounded from the last one. And I'm just not repaired for that. I'm not repaired enough to be able to handle this. I'm not repaired enough for the next pain. I'm not repaired enough for that. And family and being committed to connecting and ministering in family and the tension of that should be a catalyst that continually carries us back to Jesus and go, Jesus, I have to deal with these people under my roof and that carry the same last name, and we're going to, Thanksgiving's coming up, Lord. Thanksgiving. You know my aunts and uncles, Jesus. You made them for some reason. You made them. And you know them. And I got to sit down and eat a turkey leg with them. And last time I hit them with a turkey leg. (laughs) We want it to be a non-assault Thanksgiving. Lord, I need to be repaired. Lord, I need healing. I need healing. I think our friendships could last a little longer than seven years if we would let God heal us. But instead, instead we amputate and we move on thinking that those pains aren't going to follow us. That in our family stuff, we just try to distance and disconnect instead of letting God heal us and repair us. In this place, these tensions of Family relationships should be a catalyst that drives us back into the presence of God. That says, God, I'm not repaired for this. But you're the repairer. You're the healer. You're the great physician. You're the one who comes in and binds up the brokenhearted. And God, I need you because I'm committed to seeing my family and these connections lived out in a healthy way. But God, I'm not repaired enough for this. I'm not repaired for this. And we need to invite that in. There's a story of a guy who was incredible disrepair. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5. And he was just, he was messed up. In fact, he was demon possessed by literally thousands of demons. How all of this goes down, I'm not exactly sure what led to this guy's thing. But When Jesus comes on the scene, this guy had been the local demonized lunatic guy. They had tried to chain him up, and he would just break the chains. He would just bust loose. And so everybody was content that he just lived way out, and he was somebody else's problem. Boom, they kicked the rat off, and he's somebody else's problem. And he lives out, and he's not at home, and he's not in town. He's out there, and Jesus, in his travels, he comes upon this guy. And sadly, this guy's view, this guy's view of who Jesus is was so 
so in, in, inspired and informed by this demonic thing that here is Jesus who goes around healing all who are oppressed of the devil, and he says, he says, Jesus, please don't torture me. Don't torture me. Sadly, as we begin and we disconnect more and more, all of a sudden we now have a view of God, not as a God of deliverance, but a God of torture. Not as a God of repair and restoration, but as a God who's punitive and mean and vengeful. And all of a sudden, when finally when you come face to face, it's like, nope, just don't, don't torture me, don't torture me. And that was not his goal in any shape, form, or fashion. His goal was to set him free. And he begins to immediately speak to his core problem and begins to speak to the demonic activity. Calls it out, calls it out. It leaves, it enters this herd of swine, 2,000 plus. They run off the cliff and die. And, and everybody who's around there is mad. They're pleading, Jesus, get out of here, get out of here. And the guy who is set free says, please let me come with you. In fact, let's look in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. This seems like a, seems like a, a good thing to be requesting. Jesus had gone to different people and said, come follow me. This guy's like, I'm just going to volunteer. I just want to go with you. He's begged to go with him. And Jesus didn't let him. But he said, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And and he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. He immediately began and set him on assignment of where he should have been connected with to begin with. See, the, the repair, the restoration, the healing was not just a gift to that man. It was a gift to everybody who had ever cared about that man. It was a gift to his family. It was a gift in that place. It was a gift that honestly kept on giving And Jesus said, I want you to go and be the gift you were intended and created to be to begin with. You repaired or it's going to make a difference in somebody's life. You repaired if you'll go home and where you were supposed to be. The healing that's here is now going to begin to bring healing in other people's lives. And that was his first place of assignment. We see it multiple times. We talked about it at the beginning of this series with the paralytic who's there in the Jesus meeting that was so packed they couldn't even get in. And he says, take up your mat and go home. It wasn't the conclusion of the meeting. He didn't say, okay, this is over. You know, everybody go have your snacks. And oh yeah, and you go home. No, Jesus would continue to, to teach. And he says, but you go home. Why? Because the gift of his, him being restored was not just a gift to him. It was a gift to everybody who loved and cared for him. It was, it was a gift and that needed to be lived out at home. We have to embrace that this needs to begin to be lived out in the fullness of our home. See, the truth is, is that when we begin to look at at even stepping into stronger ministry roles, um, the scriptures say, okay, if somebody wants to be an elder, kind of be in charge of a group of believers, um, then we need to look at their life, not that we're being judgy, Not that we're getting all up in their grill about stuff, but we need to see, are they taking care of their core place of ministry? Are they doing this at home? What does their day in and day 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 out life 
look like? So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a cool thing to want to do. Uh, now, the overseer is to be above reproach, which means that it's not just easily to be able to attack this person and be able to, to tear them down. Um, faithful to his wife. Shouldn't be a cheater. That seems pretty reasonable. Um, I think I saw that guy on cheaters. No, don't need to be an elder. Um, Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not somebody who likes to be around people if you're going to be in charge of people, Um, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do it in a manner worthy of full respect. So a long time, this was taken, and we forget that it was forgotten about this manner of full respect, and there were people who were trying to manage their households, and some of you who lived under the weight of a parent who tried to manage their household well and forced this strong hand and says, this needs to be done in a place of full respect. And I'm telling you, as a, as a dad, this is one of my most challenging roles and has been for 25 years. It's one thing, I can prepare to get up here and talk to you. I can decide what I'm gonna say. But living and raising children, I'm telling you, it is one of the most challenging ministry assignments I have ever had. They see me in my better moments and they see me in my ugly moments. And I have to be able to coach them and lead them, not from a place of authoritarianism because all that's gonna happen is is as soon as they're able to get out from under that grip, they're gone. And there's some of you in this room that lived under that kind of weight and as soon as you were able to get out as an adult, you got and you were gone. And you didn't have any warm, fuzzy feelings of a household and connecting and trying to decide what is this going to look like now that I'm going to implement this. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. And there's not a formula for it. I, I, I couldn't write a book. All I know is this, is you get up every day and you love Jesus and you, and you try to love the people under your roof and, and understand that his grace is sufficient for me. And we lean on that. In any place that there's a misstep or whatnot, that God's grace is going to somehow fill the gaps and do it in a manner worthy of respect. And this strong armed, I'm you're going to obey me because I'm the boss thing. Sometimes you got to draw hard boundaries. And my kids know we've drawn hard boundaries in the years. But there's a place where you have to also let them grow and let them develop and let them begin to hear God themselves. And that is a scary, challenging place to be as a parent. But as we're looking for, at this, this is what is required of an elder, be able to, somebody's gonna be a leader in the church. Can they do this at home? Because at church, we've gotta be able to move it forward. And I can't sit there and go, you know what? Um, you need to shape up or just hit the door, buddy. Um. A little bit of that kind of church leadership, and you're going to have a, you know, a very, very limited impact in the community. We have to be able to lead in a different kind of way. 
And this deal of manage, it sounds like in this space, because remember this, the Bible was not written in English. It's written in Greek. And as you look at this word manage, it's kind of hard to get, see any kind of love there. But let's look at Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And there's the same Greek word is used in Titus chapter 3, verse 8. that's translated manage, and it's translated a different way. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This word devote is the same Greek word manage. Our role, our first role of ministry is being devoted to our family, being devoted, being connected, loving and cheering on and having honest conversations and holding up Jesus as the standard and moving together in that direction. Not just doing our own little thing and hoping for the best for everybody else, but being devoted and bringing this fully into our homes. See, to trust God in anything, he must come first. He must come first. Not because he's God and he says, put me first. But because if we're going to trust him, he's got to come first. Otherwise, we're looking for other things and then go, okay, this didn't quite work out. Um, All right, God, what do you got? That's, that's not lordship. For it's not trusting him. It's not, it's not doing that with him. We've got to, if we're going to trust him in anything, he's got to come first. In fact, Matthew 6, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. As we begin to pursue him, look to him, connect with him, honor him, everything else gets put in order. But there's a point where sometimes, even in the middle of a place where other households are making other kinds of decisions, where other things are going on, you know, there was a point where maybe the, the, a few decades ago where maybe the, the bulk of homes in the U.S. had some idea of some sort of Christian influence. But folks, that, that time right, is not right now. But there's a place where we have to step up and be willing to make a decision in our own households and, and make the, a Joshua 24, 15 decision where Joshua says, and he's talking to the people of God, says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if it seems undesirable, then choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. There's, there's choices around here. People are making non-God-centered choices. You want to make some of those? Make them. It says, but as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. He made a decision. He said, you know what? You're going to make decisions. You're going to do it, and the choices are out there. But right here, me and my house, we're going to pursue God. We're going to invite his grace into every spot in our house, every dynamic of our relationships. In fact, in some of the places where we're just like, I'm not repaired for this. Well, guess what? His grace repairs. His grace fixes it. His grace brings us forward. And so many times we can think, okay, well, I now begin to put God first, and, and now everything's just immediately going to get fixed. The problem is, is everybody has to begin to choose this. But if, if we as the leaders of our households don't begin to choose it, we're not really given the other ones in our household room. But 
you know, here's the truth is sometimes there can be some initial bumps along the way. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? Well, yeah, at the beginning of Luke, it said, you know, that the angels sang joy to the world. The Lord's come, you know, peace on earth, whom his favor rests. Here, here we are, beginning of Luke. Now Jesus is talking. Here's the thing, is we have to begin to choose to follow Jesus because of Jesus, not because maybe he might be the source of peace. And as soon as we're chasing after him as a source of peace instead of chasing after him, we're going to end up being frustrated and think that we're missing it. Because, man, I'm telling you, sometimes things can begin to be challenging. He says, no, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Just making this decision won't necessarily mean everybody snaps in line. There can begin to be some tension over this. There began to be some tension. And sometimes that can be the slow roll of us on making that decision to go. Because, you know, like, man, maybe not everybody's going to go with this. Maybe this isn't going to be a popular decision in my household. And for a little while, there'll be some tension. And guess what? You know what, folks? Here in the U.S., um, we have it pretty easy. It can be somebody side-eyeing you or looking, making you feel like you're stupid or that kind of stuff. There are households on this planet that all of a sudden, this passage that Jesus says, it's very, very different. A Muslim in Syria gets a hold of the gospel and wants to pursue Jesus, send him as head of their home. Their life is literally on the line. They have lost all relationship connections. They've lost all relationship connections. All of a sudden, we think we're suffering for taking a stand for Jesus because somebody talks about us behind our back. Somebody calls us a hypocrite. Somebody brings up some of our past stuff and says, they think they're all this. That's not persecution, people. Persecution is when somebody's going to take you out and think that they're doing justice and and your dad kills you in front of the whole town to make sure that that infestation of Jesus has been rooted out of his family and he's not ostracized by the whole town. And there are people and believers who have faced that in other parts of the planet. Ours having a little tension in our home is somebody making fun of us or somebody not taking us serious. Not that it doesn't hurt, not that it's not hard, but it's not our lives on the line. Not like our brothers and sisters on the other part of the planet. And so as we begin to understand this, if you do begin to step into this and see a little bit of tension and saying, you know what, today we're just going to make the decision, the fullness of our house, we're going to pursue Jesus. He's going to be king. We're going to serve him. That if, if choosing to follow Jesus has, has a bumpy start in your home, then know that God is working for restoration and forgiveness. Luke 1, 17 says, and he, Jesus, will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That that is what, part of what Jesus does. It begins to turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children. 
But guess what? The fullness of that promise is seen in Malachi chapter 4. It says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before this great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. There is this thing that one of the things that Jesus does is begins to turn hearts. So you're like, you can go, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to sit here and, and do this in my family. Do I need to start and have, you know, morning prayer times? Do I need to have forced Bible studies with my family? I, you know what? You're going to have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I know. This, the beginning of it is your heart should begin to turn towards your family. A heart of compassion, a heart of prayer, a heart of service. A heart to begin to, to love in the difficult times. To begin to see the fractures be put back together and just have your heart turn. That's what he's doing. If our hearts can get turned, the rest of it will come into play. The rest of it will come into play. We don't have to have a three easy step to make your, your, your home honor God. There are no three easy steps. It starts with just turning your heart towards. Let God turn your heart towards each other. See, Romans 12, 18 tells us this, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. God is calling us and anointing us to do that, to begin to see revival in our homes, to begin to see life change in our homes, to begin to see the topics of conversation shift in our homes, to begin to see homes being a house of prayer, homes being a house of worship, homes being a place where people feel the peace of God and connect, our homes doing that. And when that begins to be more of a reality, we begin to see the fullness of what he has done. Remember, the truth is, is that we don't see the fullness of what Christ has done really, really hit our lives until it hits home. So our bottom line this morning is this, that putting God first in our lives means loving the people he first placed in our lives. That's where all of this begins to live out, is begin to embrace the ministry of the people under our own roof. We abide with Christ by inviting him into our abode, into our families. So let's just think about what our community would look like if just our families loved one another like Christ loves the church. How much pain came out of our households? How much disappointment came out of our households? How much brokenness came out of our households? The bulk of it. The bulk of it. So if we begin to just invite power of God back into those spaces. I'm telling you, it will begin to revolutionize everything. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.